Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the head of global marketing at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our impact series featuring Elevate customers implementing transformative change. In this episode, Elevate's Stephen Allen talks with John Hurley of the law firm Foley & Lardner. John and Stephen talk about law firm strategy, establishing a delivery approach for these roaring 20s, and delivering efficiencies without sacrificing service. So this is Stephen Allen. I'm Vice President of Get Shit Done at Elevate, and I'm very lucky today to be talking to John Hurley, who's COO of Foley & Lardner. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, Stephen. I'm John Hurley. I'm the uh, COO of Foley and & Larder and uh, looking forward to being with you today. Thank you. So, John, you and I have talked for years and all the time. So, this is just a conversation that's missing a couple of glasses of liquor or a couple of beers, I think. But I think it would be an interesting conversation for people to hear, given that I think you're a firm in a really unique position in the legal services market. Very successful firm really strong revenues, really strong reputation. And you know, I've said this about you guys, you're almost the kind of best kept secret in legal. Do you want to just explain to me a bit around kind of the firm you joined and then the firm as it's now looking to be and give a bit of that story for me? Yeah, Steve, happy to. And, and as you know, I've been with Foley now for a little over five and a half years. And the firm that I joined, it was a quiet firm. We were sort of the quiet AMLAW 50 firm right in the middle of the AMLAW 100 pack. And great practitioners, solid practitioners who just really keep their head down and get great work done. And I think what we tried to create when I joined the firm 5 years ago was to sort of develop a little bit of that go-to-market swagger. Take all that great work that these lawyers have done historically and put that to the value test and grow our base. And we started that process. And as you know, Stephen, five years is not a lot of time to make change. At the same token, you can make some monumental change in five years. We've made some pretty good progress, but I think we have a ways to go. I like that point about market swagger because the one thing I know about you and your firm is, if anything, you don't necessarily talk about yourselves in that way. How have you had to help the lawyers? Because that's a really interesting journey, I think, for people is, how do you help lawyers who are excellent practitioners? As I say, they're, they're fabulous in the rankings. Their clients come back to them time after time, which is the best, the best symbol, right, of a great lawyer. How do you help them develop that market swagger? You know, what do they focus on? How do they develop that sense of drive and purpose and all of those things? Really great question. Motivating lawyers is different than motivating the big four or motivating any other sort of professional consultancy. And in particular, motivating a firm like Foley, where 30% of our clients have been with the firm for over 30 years. I mean, it's an impressive legacy of client relationship from that perspective. And I think what we've done, Stephen, is, is really kind of look at each of the partners as individual practitioners to understand where's their best use in the market. So for example, some are just natural business developers, right? And really help them understand that they can be building enterprise value along with their own primary billing responsibilities. Others, the more the service partner, 
where they're just great tactical lawyers and their best use is to continue to support the relationships and not necessarily be out there trying to create enterprise value. And then you have others where they're really strong in social media or writing a blog or doing some thought collateral piece that we can use to promote a practice or an industry. And they're really great at writing these short briefs that help our clients and demonstrate the firm. So I think what we've done is try to find the best use for each person and then capitalize that in a way that drives the firm forward. Right. And I think one of the things that marks you out, John, amongst others, that you're talking at a law firm about enterprise value, which is, as you and I know, is rare. You know, a lot of law firms are still a collection of practices. What you're talking about there is a really difficult balance to strike between driving the enterprise as a whole, but as you say, respecting the individual capabilities. Wouldn't say we've got it right yet either. I mean, we're trying it. But I think what's important here for our firm is that the leaders of our firm, our board and our department and our industry leaders, they understand that we're trying to develop enterprise value because enterprise value is the long-term solution for our business. And it'll keep us competitive for the long run. And it's important. We haven't figured it out, but we're working on it. Oh, and kind of what things in your COO role, you've got your hands on the levers and you're helping drive change, but do you want to just give people an idea of the kinds of changes that you're trying to drive to help affect that move from the firm that was, but incredibly successful. I mean, that statistic, 30% of clients for over 30 years is an incredibly, people give their, well, both arms for that, right? right? What kinds of things have you had to do to kind of help? What levers have you pulled? What recruitment have you made? What changes have you done to help drive those things forward whilst still trying to retain the integrity of, of who Foley and Lardner are? Yeah. And look, as you know, you know the CEO role today is, encompasses all the C-suites, right? From the finance to our real estate, HR, marketing, and so forth. So there's multiple levers, as you said, that we're trying to pull. I kind of look at it as a continuous change management. There's lots of ways to help the enterprise. It's not just driving the top-line revenue growth and driving market share, which we're doing through our business development and marketing activities. But it's also operational efficiencies, whether it be through our real estate portfolio, as an example, we're coming out of this era of COVID. And I do think the firm of the future is different than the firm of the past, with more flexibility given to folks, which puts pressure on our portfolio of real estate. Because as you know, it's a fixed cost and there's fixed 2%, 3% escalations in every year on these leases. I don't know a lot of people really understand that this is just something that escalates over time, but really trying to get our footprint right from an office space perspective to perhaps hoteling or other things of that nature which allow flexibility that gets the cost structure more aligned. Also, as you know, a lot of firms this past year, us included, were really focused on efficiencies of operations. And you look at your business and saying, do we really need that for the future? And we made a lot of adjustments this past year to become more nimble, nimble without sacrificing service. I mean, you know me, I'm a big service excellence guy. I preach it. I want to amplify it. But yet we're still trying to get that service excellence out, move the levers a little bit to get that perfect. And then I think the last component on this one is really when you think about legal talent and development, how do you actually use the tools today to make your practitioners more efficient than they were yesterday? We've got a great chief leading that effort. And there's some new initiatives coming this year, which I think will be real exciting for our partners as well. You mentioned the C word, COVID, and it's thrown up challenges and and opportunities. 
what would you say was the biggest unforeseen challenge? Like, obviously, we were kind of all heads down, getting people out of the offices, all of those things. But when the dust settled, when people were then ensconced in their working from home environments, what was the biggest unexpected challenge that hit you with COVID? Actually, I think there's more than one, to, to be honest. The first challenge is getting 2,200 people remote in a roughly 72-hour period of time and dealing with that last mile issue, dealing with home office setups, dealing with equipment issues, and making sure that we didn't lose any production on our end and that everything was supportive for the client. So that was the first one where that was, I think, a big challenge for us. The beginning challenges were, is this a two-week thing, a four-week thing, a six-week thing? Nobody really knew what this period of time was going to be. If you reflect back to that March of 20, we were all thinking, maybe we'll be back by June. We didn't really understand the magnitude of this, right? You can't plan for budgets. You can't plan for certain things. You've got client engagements. You have all those things you want to do and you have to work that through. I think the third challenge, Stephen, on this one, and I think this is the biggest one of all, right? It's the cultural challenge. It's the collaboration challenge. It's keeping people connected. I think we dealt with more mental illness as an industry last year than ever before. We more depression, folks with you know kids in school or and those sorts of things and the homeschooling and the challenges of home and the work-life balance, all of that, I think, magnified to a scope that I don't think any of us really could predict. And working through that and keeping our people close to the vast rate, I think, was, yeah. uh, was a big challenge. Given the nature of the firm you are, that was probably partly a saving grace because you had a strong culture, but also a bigger challenge because culture is so integral to what you are inside. I completely agree. And prior to March of last year, you know, other than doing a video conference from one office to another, right? And you schedule those things, whatever, days in advance and those sorts of things. Now it's just video is just becoming such an ingrained portion of our day where you're connecting with the folks, you're getting the meetings done. I, you know, I'm curious to see how this culture evolves going forward with a blend of in-person, a blend of video, a blend of video conferencing and those sorts of things. I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, on the upside... Because not everything was terrible, right? We've all got to spend more time with our families. It could be yeah. terrible for some. So. Yeah, exactly. Have you noticed kind of with your COO hat on the positives that came out of it or the opportunities you think this has thrown up? So I think it's an opportunity to reflect on that work-home life balance and so forth. I mean, let's take it as a good example. As you well know, we're seven days a week and that's how we roll. I was more productive this year than years past, right? I wasn't on flights. I didn't have all those delays at the airport and those sorts of things was caused inefficiencies in my day. I think a positive was I spent more time with my family. I was able to be more productive for the business as a whole without having to be on the road quite so much and doing those things. And I think those things were great. I also think it forced us to be more cognizant of our teams. So for an example, I know at least in the C-suite folks, we forced ourselves to spend a lot more time together on videos, talking about issues, just collaborating together just for that connectiveness. That actually brought us, I think, closer together as a team. I think those are key positives. One of the things I know you're working on at the moment is your strategic plan. And I'm not asking you, obviously, to reveal that. That's state secrets. But in terms of looking forward for the next five years in the market, what do you think is going to confront the market or law firms are going to have to contend with to kind of stay relevant stay resilient? What are the big challenges for the coming five years? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and we talked a lot about strategy, as you know, and we're trying to look at a five-year strategy at kind of one-year increments because I think 
you know, I don't know about you, but I struggle looking past one year because the market dynamics just seem to shift so fast these days. I would say relevance in our industry, look, we've got a lot of competitors or pseudo competitors approaching in on the edges for our industry. It's well known that we've got alternative legal providers coming in. You've got the big four that are coming in and using consulting models to pick up where we used to have what I would call kind of a monopoly or proprietary position on some advice and those sorts of things. I think we're going to continue to face those challenges as a legal industry. And we need to make sure that we're nimble and aggressive in how we approach our clients. I think another big thing for us is, you know, I mentioned earlier in this podcast is enterprise value and really a big believer in positioning, selling the enterprise that is fully to the enterprise that is our client and the totality of both. Our clients don't have legal issues. They've got business issues. We are a business service provider to support those needs. And I think we can be pretty aggressive in doing that and making sure that we are more aggressive in the the totality of the services that we provide our clients and how we present those to the client. And I think that's a challenge for all of us in the space. And we'll just continue to fight those pressures that are coming in. That's a big one. And then I think the other one is sort of being somewhat cognizant of where we think the growth is going to happen in the industry in the next five years. And I think we've got a pretty good feel for that. At least where you know where at least our baseline revenue growth could come from based on historicals and the trends that we see and going after those in what I'll call a disproportionate way. Cool. So John, one of the things I know you're passionate about is actually focusing kind of services and how those services are delivered to a client interest point of view. So it's not just giving legal advice, but how does the client receive it? What can you do differently? You know, you talked about sectors and focus and having deep industry knowledge. Is there anything on the delivery side that you think will need to change kind of for law firms to stay relevant over the next five years? Look, we are a highly touched business, right? I mean, it's they come to legal providers because they have a business issue that they need us to spend our intellectual capital solving and our interpretation to solve. So I think the direct communication, the direct delivery to the client is going to continue and needs to continue to have that impact. I think there are other tools and things that we can do as an industry to improve that service delivery. And I think many other firms are as well, kind of exploring AI and analytics and other value tools to make that delivery more impactful for the client. We're continuing to invest X percent of our expense base that needs to continue to be innovative in getting into the tools and things that are necessary. Because as you know, I talk about this all the time. Our clients are the market disruptors. And therefore, they expect their law firm to also be kind of shoulder to shoulder with them from that perspective. So we need to make sure we've got the tools and things to demonstrate that value to the client so we can continue to service them for the next 30 years. I think the COO role in a law firm is unique because in many ways, you're the kind of conciliary of the leadership team, of the leadership of the lawyers, but you're also the kind of go-to person and the sounding board for all the people in business services. For any young aspiring COOs or people aspiring to be COOs, what's your kind of best piece of advice? What should they do? How should they act? What do they need to think about? Look, I think every COO for a law firm might be a little bit different. And I think what served me well, interestingly enough, and you know my background better than anybody, I have a very non-traditional background, right? I was a CFO about 30 years ago, a lot of time in operating roles in privately held companies, did some consulting work along the way. 
worked my way through the law firm business, kind of from the starting ground, worked my way up to understand the business. I think if anybody has COO aspirations in their future, they got to understand the totality of a law firm. You got to understand what the business you're in and how all the moving pieces work and how they fit together. And then how you can actually make that more efficient and drive that for your partners. Look, the partners are the owners of the business. I work at the pleasure of the partners and the board. But if you don't understand the totality of it and can bring in that bigger view... And totality also means understanding clients, understanding the markets that you're in, understanding that you might be a global law firm that operates at a national level, a regional level, a local level, and then a hyper-local level. And so forth. And you have to understand the nuances and the differences of all of those components so that you can provide the value back. So when somebody comes to me with a, a series of questions or an idea, or they want to just bounce something off of it, you have to see the moving parts on the board and see how it all fits together. And I think that's important. And I think that's the evolving role of a COO. Well, John, thank you for that. That was really fascinating. And I'm sure those listening will have picked some interesting nuggets out of that. So thanks very much for agreeing to talk to us. It's my pleasure and happy to do it anytime. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, John. Tune in to the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and elevateservices.com.